Welcome to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One, where I discuss geocaching and my adventures with it. This interview was recorded using Zoom and may sound different than other podcast audio. Welcome everybody. I'm here with John, uh, frequently known as Mountain Bike 10 in the geocaching world, who is the father of the geocoin, the hider of the first geocache in Idaho, the creator of the first geocache traveler, the first reviewer, and also the co-founder and charter vice president of the Washington State Geocaching Association. Thank you so much for coming on here today. Glad to be here. You've got quite the impressive geocaching resume. You've done a lot that has really affected the game as we know it, it seems. Uh, it's just uh, being in the right place at the right time. I just happened to be around at the start, and that, that's why. <laughs> So how did you get started in the geocaching? Uh, well, I was uh, big into maps and GPS as a result of my interest in maps uh, because I was um, very into mountain biking, as you might guess from my username, and uh, used uh, early on used GPS to help with mapping of trails. And so I was involved with a number of uh, uh, news groups, um, at the time, the internet was kind of in, a, in its infancy. Um, so there weren't things like Facebook and, and the likes. So news groups is, uh, were basically the, 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 Reddits of, the Reddit of their day where people could just talk about a variety of different topics. And the one I followed most closely was the one dedicated to GPS navigation. And um, people started getting really excited in 2000 because at, at the time, then President Bill Clinton was talking about uh, getting rid of uh, selective availability, which was um, simply put the spoofing uh, mechanism that was uh, on the GPS signal at, at that time. And uh, we knew that once selective availability was removed, or SA uh, for short, um, that all of a sudden our GPSs would be much more uh, uh, reliable, not reliable, much more accurate. And uh, uh, for me, that was really interesting because, wow, now in, for mapping of trails, you know, I'm, it was going to be, uh, you'd know like, oh, it was that ravine that I was in and not that one that's 200 meters over, you know, that, that right. sort of thing. So, uh, and then, uh, near the, the, the turnoff of, of selective availability, a guy by the name of Dave Ulmer posted, hey, we could probably hide things out in the forest and actually get people to them uh, now with coordinates. You know, it'd be accurate and could do that. And um, a, a couple days after selective availability was turned off, he posted that he had done that and it was the start of geocaching. I, I really liked that idea and I wanted to be involved myself. And it was May, which I'm up in, uh, in Washington State and, and uh, almost Idaho. And uh, my family and my wife's family have cabins at a lake up in North Idaho. And I knew that's where I would want to hide my own cache. But because there was snow on the ground, uh, I, I didn't get started for, uh, for a while. And I actually had, actually, I don't know if you can see my background, but 
that was taken from a place where I really wanted to hide my first cache, but that that place stays covered in snow until July. And I finally uh, got, uh, I got uh, antsy and I went up to a secondary place, which I still enjoyed going to, but um, that's where I ended up hiding my first cache. It's actually, uh, you can't see where I'm pointing, but uh, <laughs> I guess that, that hill right there is where I ended up uh, hiding it. Oh, it um, certainly is beautiful. Uh, yeah, I, I sure like it. So, Just a note, I was able to capture a screenshot of the hill John was, is referring to in the interview, and you can check that out on the show notes at the website. It really is a beautiful scene. And, and that's, that's how I got involved. <laughs> so you've been involved pretty much from the very beginning, like all 20 years, or did you start like a year or two later? No, I, I uh, started, it was um, June of 2000 is when I started and the game started in May. So, and I, okay. was, I was involved in terms of reading the posts and such, but you know, waiting right. for the snow to disappear is... Uh, it's a different story, yeah. <laughs> we don't get quite as much snow here in Missouri as, uh, as they tend to get in some places up north. But uh, we've, we've had a couple good snowfalls, so I, I can imagine with the sometimes feet that they get in some places up north, it definitely takes a lot longer than the six inches to dissipate that we get around here. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing photos now and where this, this picture was taken just about a month ago is now uh, dusted with snow. So it's oh, wow. that time of year again. So. <laughs> So did you actually hide your first geocache before you found your first geocache or did you? Uh, yeah, I hid before finding. Um, at the time, I think there were some, oh, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, my cache was like roughly the 35th to 40th, somewhere in there ever hidden. Wow. So there weren't that many. Um, and Dave Ulmer's first cache only lasted a, a handful of months, maybe weeks before, because he he actually uh, planted it at the side of a pullout on a road, and the Oregon DOT widened that pullout just weeks after he had hidden it, and so wiped it out almost immediately. Oh wow! Um, I wish I had gotten down there before that happened, but um, I didn't didn't have uh, the luck. So yeah, I didn't find a cache. Um, until September of that year, 2000. Okay. Um, and that was, uh, I, at the time I worked for Microsoft and uh, I was in the games group. And so summer and uh, into September, it was usually really busy because that you have to wrap up production on titles to be ready for Christmas with, with the games. Mm. And uh, so I didn't have a lot of time to cash during that period anyway. And then um, uh, we actually had our ship party in September. And um, after that was over, I jumped in my car and drove up to that, that cash. So I'd been kind of waiting to be able to get one. And it turned out to be um, a cash hidden by the founders of, of geocaching.com. Oh, wow. Um, uh, so they had gone on a camp out there to celebrate the 
failing of the business that they were working <laughs> with, the dot com uh, uh, bust, and uh, yeah, and that was the start of it then for finding at least. Wow. So how many finds roughly do you have at this point? Um, about 21,000, um, which isn't huge. Uh, <laughs> by, I mean, it, there, there are people who have been in the game for like three years who have more than me. So yeah, when, when you have millions of caches worldwide in comparison, 21,000 may not seem high, but I hear that number and I think, wow, that's so many. <laughs> Well, that's just, I mean, remember, I've been in it for, I, for for 20 years, 21 unique years, you know, like, because I found in 2000, 2001, to, on up to 20. So I guess I'm averaging about a thousand a year, but some people just blow through that in a month. So I, I can't imagine do, I have been doing actively for just over a year now and I have 153. So the, those people that can go out and do a thousand or even 500 in a year to me, is just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, sometimes I wish I had that kind of a time to be able to go do that. But obviously we just have different sort of commitments to. Yeah, well actually that's how so. I feel. I feel like I have commitments that keep me from caching most of the time, yeah. but, but then you know others it's it's all yeah it's all uh it's all relative it is so. it is all relative to to your own life and everything my husband is a, he's i try to get him into geocaching but he's not in really interested in it my son is six and he's kind of goes back and forth on if he enjoys it or not so sometimes i have to wait for those unique days where i get a day to myself to go out and and hit yeah. a few or wait until it's like Mother's Day or my birthday and be like, you know, what I'd really like to do is go find a geocache and then they feel obligated to accommodate yeah. me. So <laughs> Yeah, my wife can't stand it. My my son, he'd rather be playing video games. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems to be a niche hobby for sure. Yeah. I guess most hobbies are really niches for people, but so when you did get to that first hide, you talked a little bit about um, the location, but what type of container was that? Uh, it was a five gallon bucket. And it was, because the very first cache by Dave Ulmer was a five gallon bucket. And that's uh, what a lot of those early caches were. Uh, nice big things stuck out in the forest. Um, Not little micros. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, I mean, it's almost, I'm almost embarrassed because that, that was so, um, I was so rigid in my thinking, you know, back then it was like, well, that's the way people are doing it. So I'll do, do the same, you know, it's like, and now it's like, oh man, I could have, uh, you know, riffed on it or something, but, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It was so young and new. Yeah. But I'm guessing you you probably have a couple other hides at this point. Yeah, not a not a huge number. I do have, um, I guess I don't know how many active. So overall, I think I have about 120 hides. Um, active ones is probably half that. Um, I tend to like to put them in spots like you see in my background. Um, 
And so they don't get a lot of finders um, and also tend not to get muggled because they're not in busy urban areas. Um, so most of mine have been uh, long lived in, I guess, outdoor semi-remote areas. I'm guessing those difficulty ratings are closer to fours and fives than Oh, not that, not that high, probably threes and fours, I guess. Threes and fours, um, okay. But yeah, I mean, most, most of mine are uh, doable in by, you know, I like, I like knowing that families can do them. Like I have some at, uh, you know, at a waterfall, for example, where, yeah, you can't drive right to it, but it's just a fairly level uh, trail and maybe a slight scramble to where the cache is. So Okay. So maybe a bit of hiking, but not necessarily any uh, cliff scaling or anything crazy like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have a couple that are more quote unquote epic uh, <laughs> that I placed on, you know, mountain bike rides or something. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for, for most of them, no more than a four mile, five mile hike usually. Okay. That's, that's doable for most, I think. I think so. There's so many to pick from now, though, so. Oh, yeah. You definitely, if, if you prefer those remote ones, they're out there. If you prefer urban lamppost parking lots, you've got geocaches for all kinds of people out there. So it's it definitely, there's definitely a variety out there for people to pick from. So when you created the first GeoCoin, how did that idea come about? Um, so there were a lot, as, as we've been talking, there were a lot fewer caches back then. And uh, about a year into my caching, so it was 2001, um, we ended up having the first event in Washington State. And um, at that, I was uh, getting close to my 100th find, which was you know, the first significant milestone for me. And it's like, I want to do something really interesting for that. Um, and up to that point, people had been uh, leaving, some people had signature items. And by that, it, uh, that's what they started to be called. And, and they were basically ways that, as soon as you opened the cash box, you knew that that person had been there. Mm -hmm. um, there was one guy in, in our area who uh, always left a uh, a kid's uh, kazoo, little kazoo with oh, okay. um, with kind of a, a a metallic faux f metallic finish on it, and it's like, oh, I knew he had been in that cache already just by opening it up. Um, so I wanted something like that, a signature item of my own, and I asked around at that event, that first event, and there was a guy there who had been in the military, and he said to me, oh, why don't you mint a coin? And I remember at the time, I think I actually literally laughed because I, you know, I thought like, oh my God, the cost, you know, how, how yeah. crazy would that be? And it's like, and no one mints coins except for governments, right? You know, it was just, <laughs> and he, he said, no, uh, uh, military challenge coins are really popular. And there are a bunch of, of uh, companies out there that, that make them, you know, you send in a design and they mint them. And that really intrigued me because 
there are a lot of reasons why a coin would be great in a cache. You know, it, it's easy to carry and it's really durable and all that. Yeah. Um, so I started looking online and I basically found the first one that came up when I searched for minting coins is the one that I ended up calling and, and talking to the guy and turned out it really wasn't that expensive. I mean, it, it wasn't cheap, but it also wasn't like, you know, you didn't need the, uh, the GDP of a small nation to be able to do it. <laughs> um, and so I uh, took, I designed the two sides and sent him the, the designs. And before you know it, I had the coins in hand. So. How did you come up with the design you ended up using? Um, well, on the one side, I used uh, a logo that I had created years before for mountain biking. And mm. it, I was used, since my username was mountain bike, I used it as uh, my logo. That's just my, you see it as my avatar and, and what have you. Um, and then on the back side, I took the geocaching logo and then altered it to, to fit a round service because the geocaching logo at the time, it was the four color, uh, four pane uh, design that a lot of cashers are familiar with, the, the, with uh, primary colors and, and green, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and uh, it, that was square. So I just kind of adjusted things and made it uh, kind of round or what have you. Um, and that's actually the reason I had to come out with a second version of my coin was because then geocaching.com said, oh, we, we can't allow alteration of, of our logo. So I had to redesign it so that I wasn't, you know, breaking that rule. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they're responsible for why they're multiple <laughs> versions. And then I got, it's like, oh, I, I can make different versions. Yeah. So that, that's it. I, I, I'm actually, again, just like I'm kind of embarrassed that my first hide was, was just <laughs> a five gallon bucket. That first coin was so plain because I, you know, I, I just didn't know what was available. I didn't know what you could do with coins. Um, and, uh, you know, plus I wanted to save a little bit of money with, you know, not having too much color. Um, right. I, th I think I assumed that any color or, you got paid by the by the <laughs> number of color or you had to pay according to the number of colors or whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I tried to keep it really simple, you know, to keep the costs down and all Yeah, I went really simple. So, and nowadays the coin looks so boring compared to what's out there. So, <laughs> so what iteration is your coin on now? Are we, I'm, uh, I still have version six. Version uh, six. That, okay. That I'm putting out. Yeah. Those are, those are going to last me a while. Someone said I should have a new version for the 20th year of the GeoCoin, which is next year. But I, I don't know. I've got so many version sixes. I don't think that, <laughs> that's going to happen, especially with what has happened in 2020. I haven't gotten them out there as much as I used to. It's been an odd year for everybody, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell us a bit about the first Geo? Cash Traveler. I'm assuming that this was sort of what led to trackables. Um, yeah, yes. Um, and in a way, I mean, they, um, so people had talked about the idea of having 
some items go from cash to cash. So someone on, on news groups way back then had already posited the idea, but no one had put it into practice. And okay. so when I hid my cash in June, um, I said, well, I want to, I want to do that. I want to have a hitchhiker. And, and the thing that immediately came to mind was a, a children's book that I loved as a, a kid, which was uh, Paddle to the Sea. And it's the story of a, a kid who carves out an a Indian in a canoe and puts it in a stream and uh, uh, scratches on the bottom or writes, uh, uh, please return me to the water for I am paddled to the sea. And the goal of the kid was he put it in the Great Lakes and he wanted it to travel all the way to the ocean. Oh. And the story is this, this uh, little carved canoe making its way and different people meeting it along the way. And like one person takes it and paints it. And one person, um, because the writing on the bottom saying, I'm paddled to sea, please return me to the water. Um, it's getting faded. So he, he puts a, a brass plaque on the bottom that says that, you know, and it's like, um, and uh, you'll have to read the story to, to see how it ends, but it, it's, it's heartwarming. It and, sounds uh, very neat. Yeah. And I liked that idea as that was my idea behind a traveler was to have something that, that moved and interacted with, with people along the way, like paddle to the sea. Um, there were some problems with the way I initiated it. So I had moved into my uh, first house just just a few months prior to um, geocaching starting. And as a joke, people who came to my house, to, I had a housewarming, they all gave me um, obnoxious lawn ornaments. And stuff <laughs> Well, one of them was this frog, and it's kind of ironic given that Signal became the mascot for geocaching.com, but it's very Signal-looking, or it was very Signal-looking, um, but it was this this um, kind of reclining uh, frog statue thing, and it was huge. I mean, it was probably this big. Oh, my. Um, but, you know, caches were five-gallon buckets, right? Yeah. No <laughs> so that's what I started uh, as the first traveler. And I say the first traveler because while, while the, someone had planted the seed of the idea somewhere and I wish I knew who and where about having things moving from cash to cash. Uh, as far as I know, no one had done it, uh, you know, by the time I hid my cash. And so I, I say it was the first traveler, just the first known one. First known one. That and, makes sense. But, um, it wasn't a very good traveler because it never made it to another cache. Oh. <laughs> uh, the person took it and then didn't uh, really cache that much afterwards. And then caches already were starting to get smaller. Mm. And uh, yeah, it just didn't fit. So I, I did try to start it again with a stash. I called it the stash hopper because back then caches were called stashes and it was a frog. So stash hopper. I called it the stash yeah. hopper. Um, <laughs> A, a few years, a couple, well, I don't know how long later, maybe it was only a year. I tried again with a smaller version, you know, a little, I found a little toy frog and called it the the stash hopper too. Um, but it only went one or two caches, I think, before it was 
long gone. So. Wow. So how was that? How was that tracked back then? If there there were no tracking codes on yeah, them, was it, was it just by post on the yeah. on the news forums? Yeah, or just you know, it, you kind of set it out, and you didn't know if you'd ever see it again or hear of it again. I mean, it there was no tracking, um, and so it was all you just had to hear via log or from word of mouth. You know that your traveler had had made it somewhere or what have you wow now we have these web pages with maps and you can see all the places all over the globe that they've been to in yeah. just seconds wow so how did reviewing caches come about um that's another thing i say i'm the first reviewer um and i may be tied for first because what okay. happened was Jeremy, who lived in Seattle, um, I had met him because, you know, cachers, there weren't there that many in the early days and with geocaching.com starting in Seattle and me being in the Seattle area, I naturally linked up with the founders of, of geocaching.com. And since I was at Microsoft during those days, I donated software to help them start the site. Oh. As a result, I had built up uh, a relationship with the founders and Jeremy initially reviewed all the caches himself. Jeremy being Jeremy Irish, the founder of geocaching.com. And it got to the, a point at one point in, I think it was 2001, early 2001, where the, the caches started coming in faster than he could do it. He was the only reviewer in the world, right? He, he was uh, the, the founder and, and managed everything. Um, and at that point, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm finding that it's it's uh, a lot of time. I'm hoping to, to kind of sp spread the workload. Would you be willing to uh, review caches as they came in? And I said, oh, absolutely. And when I look at who has, uh, so in the database in, at geocaching.com, you can see when different people first started uh, Back then, we called them approving caches, but reviewing caches and, and publishing them. Um, and it's Jeremy, 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 you know, for all the early ones with a couple weird outliers, like people who weren't reviewers for, for many years after appear on that li early list for some reason. I think uh, just the dates were retroactively applied mm, back okay. then, the way it was. But with the exception of a couple, two, you can start seeing the the people that that uh, Jeremy asked to help pretty much all on the same day getting started okay. and uh, it was uh, a a guy in uh, New York named Cash Ninja and and me and I last time I looked I, I there there are no times on those um, those publications but. We both published, I, I believe, I'd have to confirm again, but I think both of our, our first publications are on the same day. And so that's why I say I'm, I'm tied because we were both asked to, to review it essentially at the same time and got started at the same time. So I see. Has reviewing changed much since then? Oh, uh, quite a bit, <laughs> yeah. 
the guidelines back then were virtually non-existent. Um, you know, basically I was supposed to look it over, make sure there was nothing obscene uh, and that, uh, you know, it was in a reasonable location. You know, like if someone said it's, it's in a park and it showed up in the middle of the ocean, you know, you, you question that one, <laughs> question that. but, but the guidelines as we know them didn't exist, not even the buried guideline. There was, there were no proximity guideline, nothing. So it was fairly straightforward. It was mostly just making sure that uh, it was family friendly and, and uh, you know, matched what was advertised. So quite easy. And I, I reviewed up until I started working at Groundspeak, um, which was in 2009. And even during that time, it changed significantly, significantly. And now there's so many tools and, we didn't even have decent maps back then. So um, we had to basically map ourselves based on the coordinates that the users supplied. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And then what, after publication, maps would be generated for the, for the caches. Oh, but, okay. you know, you couldn't like preview where it was and see, you know, the reviewers today now have tools that show them where all the, other caches are including the hidden coordinates of, of puzzles and the like. So, um, yeah, there it's it's really really grown. There's a a, a feature that lets uh, reviewers put in polygons for areas that are off limits, and you can see if it's in one of those or if it's in a place that needs a permit or whatever. And there was none of that back then. So, wow. yeah, it is. Change. And not, not only that, but now we have uh, over 300 reviewers around the world. You know, back then, didn't need that many. <laughs> <laughs> it has definitely grown substantially in the past 20 years. If, if nothing else, it has definitely grown, <laughs> yeah, to say year, the least. I mean, the, the game kind of... Uh, the growth kind of plateaued in terms of, uh, you know, caches being hidden and people mm -hmm. uh, being involved in logging and what have you until this year. I think the pandemic has, uh, people have learned about uh, geocaching as an activity that you can do during the pandemic and uh, yeah. it's just exploded this year. So, wow. so in a way the pandemic has been good for the game. I, I hate to say it that, that way, but uh, um, people, it's it's an outlet for people. So that's interesting to hear that because I know I've heard some people say the opposite that they haven't been able to go out and geocache this year because of the pandemic. So then to hear that it's actually grown quite a bit during the pandemic is very interesting. Yeah, it's um, it it depends on your perspective. If when you look at the average fines per person. Mm -hmm. It's slightly down this year, and um, they tend to be closer to the person's home, meaning people aren't traveling for caching as much, you know, for distance. Right. But the number of accounts involved it has exploded, and that has pushed the total number of fines way over any previous record. So, And we're not even all the way through 2020. So, Well, hopefully all those new cashers will continue to stay active and 
Yeah, I mean, that's the game grow. That one thing we did see in 2016 after the Pokemon Pokemon Go craze, mm -hmm. we had a an explosion at that time of of new players, and it didn't last. Um, uh, the they were looking for the the next fun thing for them, and once once they found that, they moved on to the next fun thing. So right. hopefully, hopefully this though will end up being people who found a a, a great activity to do during a time when the world kind of had changed and maybe maybe they'll be more inclined to stick with it once things get back to normal we'll have to wait and see i hope so <laughs> so the washington state geocaching association how did that come about being being founded what what caused you to help found oh, um Gosh, I don't even remember when that was. Probably 2002. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we're probably getting more boring for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll try to be simple. With it. The, the, basically, the issue was that the uh, state parks in Washington State started um, to shut down to geocaching. And oh. it, it was, um, there was one, one, individual one ranger i guess who was really against the game and was uh, trying to get it closed down in all of the parks and and saying it wasn't it didn't meet with the what the park's goals were we formed as a way to you know we that's when we started to realize that um we couldn't just be a niche loosely collected group of people if we wanted to be able to keep geocaching because you know, that we saw that as as a the start of what could be a a change that would prevent us from ever playing the game. You know, it could it could stifle the growth of the game, especially as you know. Then another parks department or whatever sees what Washington State Parks did and decides to to emulate that. So right. we decided we'd better band together and try to. Fight it is too strong of a word. We wanted to form a partnership with them and, you know, kind of through education, show what it was all about, the kind of people that it attracts that, you know, were actually good for the parks, that were the people who love the outdoors. We're not uh, kids graffitiing something that you find on a rock or something. We were planting these caches that are uh, owned by people who, who love the outdoors doors and found by people who love the outdoors. So to make a long story short, it took a long time. Um, I guess, though, it was quick in, when you're talking governments. And uh, <laughs> now the Washington State Parks, they even had a geotour um, a few years back, you know, encouraging geocaching and encouraging geocachers to come visit. And so I, I see it as a success, you know, um, the uh, club is still going strong, although I'm not involved other than as a member of these days. Um, but uh, it's being run by people far more capable than me. So, well, I'm glad to hear it was a success because, yeah, it. This, yeah, it probably would have just completely died out if parks decided to not allow geocaching. There's so many parks. It, local parks and, and state parks and, and federal parks that 
have some sort of geocache in them to think that most of our geocaches wouldn't exist if that was the fact. Yeah, yeah. It, unfortunately, it seems like um, now, see, the trend back then was that, oh, this is this new scary activity. Where, and the, the whole like banning, the initial banning in um, national parks in the US was uh, due to people not understanding the game. They, there was a, they used to have a thing called morning briefs, uh, NPS morning briefs. And one person, a ranger at a, at a, a national park, actually a national recreational area in Washington state that's operated by the National Park Service, sent out a brief saying that they had discovered um, caches buried in the national park or in that natu uh, national recreational area. It turns out those caches weren't even buried. They were just, you know, hidden under like pine needles. Right. But the use of the term buried just freaked everyone out and it just became a kind of a domino effect of where the, it became outright banned in national parks. Um, and, uh, you know, we've made significant progress there with some national parks actually explicitly allowing placements of, of physical geocaches but uh, that at that time there was kind of a, that trend moving towards oh this is a, a sketchy activity that we don't want to encourage in our on our land you know yeah um and so that's we knew that we had to buck that trend and turn it around and i, I think that Overall, that's changed significantly um, in the U.S. and around the world. So, Yeah, I think there's still some, obviously, some people are always going to have some misconceptions about anything, but I, I stumbled across a Facebook group the other day called Geocache is Littering. Let's ban to oh. end it. And it's just kind of heartbreaking because for me, at least, loving the game so much, it's like you obviously don't understand what the game's about or you had a bad experience with one individual or something to yeah just completely call the whole thing littering and obviously they have they're not aware of the cash and trash out events that geocaching hosts and yeah that's a good reminder of why it's so important that we self-police and that people report issues with uh, caches that do seem to be abandoned and what have you, you know, um, the more that we can take care of our own and, and the playing field, the, the better off we will be presenting ourselves, especially to these entities that have the, the ability to shut off our access. Yeah. Yeah. And doing these podcasts, I came across the geocacher's creed, which I didn't realize was even a thing when I started geocaching, to be honest with you. Um, were you involved in that at all, or do you remember when that came about? Um, I was not involved, um, but I think because I was a reviewer, I, I felt like I should let the community decide that. But it, it was uh, born in the forums, and it was basically hammered out there just through people posting ideas and suggestions and what have you. And that was before there were there were things like Facebook, um, and group. the forums were the place where people talked about geocaching and it's from that era of the, uh, the, the high point of the forums. So, 
Oh, that's really neat. Warning, this part of the show contains spoilers for the cash that is about to be discussed. Well, at the end of each show, I do a cash highlight, and you have graciously agreed to do the cash highlight for us this episode. The cash you sent me is called Hidden Basin Geocache. Cash ID GC8E22. Difficulty rating 2, terrain rating 5. The description reads, strenuous 3-mile, three 3-hour, three 5-hour round-trip hike to very beautiful Hidden Basin. Small Tupperware container wrapped in black plastic bag with a granite rock on top for weight. Very good satellite reception here. Hard part should be the hike, not the search. Original contents were Winchester pocket knife, bag of polished rocks, mini multifunction pocket knife, Sacagawea dollar coin, mini first aid kit. Drive the Mountain Loop Highway to the Sunrise Mine Road, just west of Barlow Pass. Drive to Sunrise Mine Road and park here. Hike to Headley Pass and follow trail from there to Cache. After finding Cache, continue another 45 minutes to the top of Vesper Peak. If you lose the trail as you enter the basin approaching Headley Pass, just hike to north 48 degrees, 00.548 decimals, west, 121 degrees, 29.812 decimals to find the trail again. The head Cross Headley Pass at north 48 degrees, 00.425 decimals, west, 121 degrees, 29.853 decimals. Hint. Under tree broths near secondary trail, just a few feet south of main trail, past first campsite before last campsite. So I always have a hard time when someone says, what's the best one you've ever found? You know, it's like, it's always so hard because there's so many and so many memories from all of them. Um, and in fact, I just did one, excuse me, a couple weeks ago that, that it's fresh in my mind is one of the best ones I've done. Uh, just a, a great experience. Um, but yeah, Hidden Basin Geocache frequently pops into my head as one of the great ones. And it was, uh, a great hike. I forget exactly how long it was, but probably around 10 miles round trip. Um, not just to the cache. The cache was at uh, the, not at the base, but in a kind of a, a cirque below the summit of a mountain in the North Cascades called Vesper Peak. And I went with a good geocaching buddy and we made that hike. It was a perfect day. It was a crisp, I think it was October. It was crisp, but beautiful and sunny, clear views, uh, views all around the, the uh, North Cascades. And uh, Cash was hidden next to a, 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 that little basin with a little uh, glacial lake in it uh, below the peak of, of Vesper Peak. And just, it was such a memorable outing and so gorgeous that uh, yeah, it always sticks in my mind. I, I took a picture of the guy I was with signing the, the log book and he's sitting adjacent to the trail and you see the cascades behind him. And I've, that's always been one of my favorite photos I've ever taken geocaching. Wow. So that's one reason it pops into my head whenever someone asks what my favorite was. So the cache itself, I, I guess, was, um, you know, straightforward. It was a traditional hidden and I don't even remember the hide itself. Like if, 
if I was back up there trying to help someone to find it, I, I wouldn't remember <laughs> where it was, but um, the location was just so perfect and the conditions so perfect. That, um, yeah, so when I looked it up, it said that this was first hit in um, September of 2002 and it was still active today. So that alone in itself is impressive that it's still active after 18 years out there. But it also yeah. sounds like, so the, the point of the cache was to kind of get you up to go see this magnificent view and geological feature, and it's a traditional cache. So am I safe in saying that this was probably set up before they had the different cache types? Um, no, the, the cache types did exist. They did exist. Um, okay. Yeah, in 2002. So when the site started, there was um, traditional, multi, and I believe virtual was also available when the site started. And maybe even what was called unknown at that time and is now called mystery, because that was the catch-all. And then the other types have come since then. So with, uh, I guess, the most recent at this point, having been um, technically the where I go cache, which now is ages old, <laughs> we might be seeing some changes with, in that uh, list coming uh, before too long, though. So huh. a change anyway. Interesting. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it was a spectacular view up there to go see the basin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, if you look at the, uh, the gallery on that cache, you'll see some amazing scenery. I'll definitely do that. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today and, and talking with us here. I really do appreciate that. And thank you for everything you've done to help develop the game. You've definitely helped add some very interesting aspects to it, for sure, with the geocoins and the travelers and, and for your work as a reviewer. Um, I appreciate it. I'm sure all the geocachers out there appreciate everything the reviewers do, because we definitely would not be having this game if the reviewers weren't keeping us all in check. So thank you very much for all of that. You bet. Well, my pleasure, and thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have a geocache adventure you would like to share for the cache highlight? Would you like to be a guest on the show? Reach out to me at geocache.adventures.podcast at gmail.com or on the contact page at geocacheadventures.org. You can also check out Geocache Adventures merchandise by visiting the store page at geocacheadventures.org. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.